Blog Talk Radio. Everybody, welcome to the official Redbird Rants podcast, episode number 29. That's right, the last episode before our podcast turns the ripe old age of 30. We are so excited to have you join us. I am Michael Miles, editor at Redbird Rants, and tonight you're in, a tr- you're in for a treat. I'm handing off the host seat to the one and only Christian May Suzuki. Christian, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. It's great to be here, and I'm excited to take over this freaking podcast. I know. It's going to be really amazing. And also, you're joined tonight by uh, Larry and Dan. Hi, guys. How are you guys doing? Doing great, Mike. Thanks. Doing great, guys. Happy to be here. CMS, ready for you to take us home here. That's right. And, you know, CMS, you got to be careful because Dan has a writer, and his writer asked for green M&Ms only. Those are his favorite flavors, so make sure you've got those because I think his price is going up if we don't get him those green ones. <laughs> Ooh. I don't know. It might be hey, tough. I'm... He might have to be happy with some uh, with other ones, man. <laughs> I'm telling you. Well, to our listeners, I just wanted to jump in here at the beginning to put a quick plug in. There is an outstanding article in our featured slot on redbirdrants.com, and I really want everybody to swing over and see it. The title of the article is Hurricane Maria Relief for Puerto Rico. Uh, Tito, our junior editor, as we like to call him here at Redbird Rant, Tito comes from Puerto Rico and has family that are, that are still there. And happy to report that he has heard from all of them. All of them are safe and fine after the impact of Hurricane Maria. There will be a very long recovery for the people of Puerto Rico. And we are very proud at Redbird Ranch to join with Tito in a pledge that he has made to the great country of Puerto Rico to tie into the St. Louis Cardinals and in a fantastic way of generating some donor dollars to help support the rebuilding and the recovery efforts there in Puerto Rico. And we're actually using the GoFundMe account that was created by the Molina family, which is another wonderful tie-in to the St. Louis Cardinals, Molina himself from Puerto Rico. And the plan as it stands is that for every single that is hit in every game starting today until the end of the season – Tito will donate $1. For every double, he will donate $2. For every triple, he will donate $3. And for every home run, he will donate $4. Keeping a track record of that, making the donation uh, at the end of the season, I personally have joined in as well as many others. So what a wonderful way for us to help out, to show our humanity. And I wanted to put a special plug into that before handing it off to you guys and having you run away with a fantastic show. So, Christian, I, I'm going to give that over to you. 
you guys have a great show. I'm going to sit here in the engineering booth, be your Jim Jackson, and you guys have a fantastic show. All right, great. Thank you so much, Dr. Miles. Uh, I'd also like to give a quick shout-out to Tia before we start. I mean, I'm glad. It's great to hear that his family is safe, and, uh, I mean, he's a, he's a great dude, so it's, it's good to hear that everything's all right with him. So I want to start off uh, talking about uh, Memphis versus Durham. It was obviously a big thing. Memphis had come in winning 97 games, uh, PCL champs. Unfortunately, they weren't able to come out with a win. They took the 5-3 loss. Uh, some of the highlights of that game, I'd say, were uh, Hudson pitched pretty well. Dakota Hudson, he went three innings, gave up four hits and one earned run, uh, struck out five, and only gave up two walks. And uh, Tyler O'Neill went two for five. He was a uh, big season acquisition. So uh, we'll start with you, Dan. What do you think the most exciting thing out of the minors for you this season was? I'll tell you, I, I mentioned this last week on our podcast, and I don't know why, but this guy's resurgence does not get enough love. And I know that Tyler O'Neill is the hot new toy, but I'm going <laughs> to again give a shout-out to Patrick Wisdom. I mean – he was not even protected in the Rule 5 draft last year, guys. He totally reinvented himself. His numbers are almost identical to Tyler O'Neill's, and you should be excited about that because he had 30-plus bombs. He had 90-plus RBIs, a lot of extra base hits, which is what I look for. Uh, his, his on-base percentage was better, and his strikeout rate, I believe, was a career low in the minors. And he's not even getting a cup of coffee as a September call-up. So I'll tell you, his performance, as as you all know, he was named the MVP uh, of, of the playoffs, at least up before that uh, game against Durham. I'm really excited about his potential. And he fulfills a position of need, not only for the Cardinals, but for a lot of organizations. And that's third base. That's a job that we haven't really seen anybody seize with authority. I personally think it's a job that should go to a Ledmus Diaz, and we've given up on him too soon. We'll come back to that. But I'll tell you, Patrick Wisdom, I mean, I've got a lot of hope because of him. So that's my pick. All right. Sounds great, Dan. Uh, what do you got for me, Larry? Well, I think I'm going to cheat a little bit because, of course, he was in the minor leagues for a big chunk of the season, and that, for me, it's Luke Weaver. Um, uh, I think, you know, you look at where he was uh, with his more than a cup of coffee last year, but, uh, and of course, then started the season down there and came back up. But the thing that really impressed me so much, and, you know, the major league team managed not to muck it up at all, was, was how, you know, how much accomplishment he seemed to realize between his, uh, you know, his first time here and his second time here. I mean, the guy, you know, you could tell last year, you know, that he was a little nervous. He was nibbling around the edges. He didn't have the confidence in his um, in his stuff. And, it's you know, that's very, you know, reflective of a first time up for a lot of pitchers. You know, they get, they get snake bit a couple of times and then, you know, and then you see the ball, you know, two, three, six inches outside the plate or inside or above or above the strike zone. This year, the guy came back with such unbelievable um, uh, confidence 
with his with his stuff, and that's not only a tribute to him and the incredible maturity that he gained over a year, but but of the the mentors both uh, both at Memphis, and I think you know uh, with probably with Derek Lilliquist because you know maybe Lilliquist told Matheny not to get anywhere near him. I don't know. We can talk about Jared's article a little bit later, but but the um, uh, Luke Weaver would be the guy for me who you know shows that there's a pipeline and it's strong, and the system, at least with a good number of our prospects, is doing a reasonably good job. All right, Larry. Uh, I mean, I don't think that's changed. I mean, he does have uh, 70, over 77 innings, or 77 innings, so, I mean, he's got a good amount of chunk of time. Uh, for me, I think I got I know it's kind of the hot, as you said, the hot toy, Dan, but, I mean, Tyler O'Neill, looking at his stats again, I'm so very, very excited for him. In particular, on top, just on top of the fact that he hit 31 home runs, the dude had 14 stolen bases and only got caught stolen twice. I mean, that kind of versatility is something that the Cardinals would salivate over. So, I mean, if, that, if he can really uh, get himself over the hump, then I think that that would be a real, real big addition of the Cardinals. Uh, so, let me get one more topic Christian, again. Let me move on. Christian, Sorry, you, go ahead. you make really – you and Larry both make excellent points. And, you know, one thing I just wanted to add is there's a lot of excitement. I think over the last few years, there was a little bit of a, oh, man, the Cubs have all these hot new position players. And we haven't so much as seen, except for maybe Paul DeYoung, which I'm sure we'll talk about, a young player ascend offensively. But we've got the same sort of hype that you may have seen from the Cubs position players a few years ago. The difference being we, we also have that hype and promise continually from our pitching staff. And it just, it blows my mind that all of these young pitchers have come up and the Cardinal system, credit to the system, stubby clap, all of the team down below, they just come up and like Larry said, they get a cup of coffee and maybe they struggle a little bit, which I think is intentional for the team. And then they come back with this confidence, the control. And, you know, I'm sure we're going to see that from Jack Flaherty next year. But, you know, I'm plugging a little bit ahead. But the summary here is we have strengths on both sides of the system, and I think it's really exciting. Uh, That's – I mean, that's a great point. And I I think that it's really – it's a testament to some of the – people that are working in the minor league system. I mean, you got guys like Okendo down there who very specifically wants to work with those, those younger guys. So I think people like that make it really, really, it just makes a good uh, suitable environment for guys like that to develop, even if they are struggling. So uh, I would like to move on to uh, obviously the, this whole series with Cincinnati. Um, Suddenly we went from dead and basically out of the playoffs to, Oh my God, we're in the playoffs. Um, you got the Colorado San Diego game just started. We got to hope for a big win off San Diego. Uh, the most conflicting game all season uh, the Chicago Cubs are up 2 1 on the Milwaukee Brewers in the bottom of seven. Um, so basically, my point is how do, you, how do you feel about the Cardinals' playoff hopes now that? They've gotten these last two wins. They're probably going to pick up this uh, this win here. They have a 6-4 lead in the top of the ninth. So, 
you think they could hold out here. So if they hold out, if everything stands the way it is, how do you feel about the Cardinals' playoff chances now? We'll start with Dan again. It's, it's a great question, and uh, I'm going to waffle just a touch by saying, do I want them to win the division or do I want them to win the wild card? <laughs> it, it, it's an important question, and, and here's why. Who am I rooting for in the Chicago-Milwaukee game? Do I want the Cubs to hammer on the Brewers? Do I want the Cubs to miss the playoffs? I'll tell you, if I want the Cardinals to win the division, then I want Milwaukee to sweep that series. And that's because I want these three teams to come down to the absolute wire and give the Cardinals the opportunity to take care of business against the Cubs and Brewers in the last couple series of the season. I wrote an article some time ago about how the Cardinals continuously lose close division games, but how this team is specifically built, equipped, and able to compete with and beat the Chicago Cubs. And because that's the case, I think we sh- we're still playing for the division in a sense. I know we're a little closer in the wild card, so I have more hopes. We needed to come in and beat up on Cincinnati, a team that we've performed poorly against this year. I think we have a losing record. Uh, maybe that will change if we win tonight. It'll be even or one game up on the season series. And by the way, I think uh, we just scored another run. It's now 8-4 with Paul DeYoung uh, getting a laser single to right. Or Mejia, maybe that was Mejia. Anyway, okay, I'll work on my play-by-play. It was Mejia. Um, I think we're just one game over 500 against the sort of lowly red this year. And, you know, we haven't really beat up on the bad teams in the NL Central. I think that's because the teams aren't really that bad. But to say that you don't have hope after this series against the Reds, where we're about to sweep, would be wrong. You have to have hope because you're within a couple of games of at least the wild card. And Colorado is struggling. Their young pitching has lasted all season, but it's starting to falter. And they have some tough series coming up. They're playing the Padres, who, even though are the, the cellar dwellers of the National League, are playing much better of late. They're getting good pitching, and they're getting timely hitting, and a little bit more power out of that lineup. So I think the Padres are very interested in playing spoiler. And the Rockies are going to be their primary target. So I have a lot of hope. I think the Cardinals are positioned to put the control of their playoff fate in their own hands. That is important. They squandered it in Chicago, and they know it. And I think they can come back now and really put their foot down. And I think they're motivated to do so. So I have hope. I have a lot of it. And I'm very excited about the potential to play a spoiler in the playoffs. Uh, all right. Um, I have I agree with that, but there are a couple of things that um, I have to know. So I remember when uh, I don't know if you guys listened on Tuesday, but on Tuesday when we were talking about the whole the doom of the Cardinals, um, I mentioned something along the lines of the Cardinals are really bad in divisional road series this year for whatever reason. I mean, they're going to get it this year, but even with this series win, they're three, six, and two with, or two, with uh, three wins, six losses, two ties in road series versus division opponents. Overall, they're 
only five and five against Cincinnati, seven and nine versus Milwaukee, four and eleven versus Chicago, and the only team they've really been able to get a good handle on the division is Pittsburgh with ten and six. So knowing that, Larry, what are you thinking about the playoffs? Well, I, I I won't say I'm bullish, but but I'll say I'm I'm cautiously optimistic, and and I have a little different take than Dan, and it probably isn't borne out by a statistical analysis, but but given that there are still three possible teams that we can beat to get to one of two spots in the playoffs, I think I'd like to have my chances solid against. Uh, is, as many of those teams as I can headed into the last week of the season. Um, and so for me, that means that I'd, I'd prefer to see a split between the Brewers and the Cubs because I'd like to pick up a couple of games on each of them, if, if at all possible. Um, and that, so correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think starting tonight we were five out in Milwaukee with three and a half out. Do I have that correct? Um, I think that's right. And, and, yeah, so so you know if if we're fortunate enough to win tonight, let's say Milwaukee is loses tonight, and we're not then pulling within a half a game of Milwaukee, and of course we have the we have Colorado sitting over there as well, and if we win and for by some um, miraculous fate they lose, we're also only what a game and a half out from them, but the split this weekend could also put us only um, uh, two, uh, three games out from the Cubs um, for first place with four games coming up. And, and so it, it at least keeps a glimmer, um, you know, of hope there. And, you know, this is fortunately uh, a much better – I shouldn't say much better, but it's, it's a, certainly a significantly better home team than we saw last year that, that, that and freak of anti-nature last year when we couldn't seem to win in Bush Stadium – Seems what I think were something like ten games over at home this year. So you know, if we can get through Pittsburgh, who, as you know, is you know one of the few teams we've we've played reasonably well against, and then get our last seven at home, and we're sitting there somewhere you know close to even with Milwaukee, if we're really fortunate, close to even with Colorado, but also three out from Chicago. You know, then we have a chance at at at, at either of the the wild card or the title. And I like having the opportunity to compete for both going uh, going into the last week of the season. All right, those are some good points, uh, Larry. Um, I mean, I definitely think that it's definitely, uh, in my opinion, I would say the I would want the Brewers to get the full sweep. I mean, I'm sorry, the Cubs to get the the full sweep. I mean, at the end of the day, we do match. I mean, we do match up with the Cubs, but I just feel like that getting Milwaukee out of the way and having St. Louis is just that sole front runner for the wild card is going to be a little bit more important than really reaching for that divisional title. I mean, at the end of the day, as much as we want to, I mean, as much as the car, as well equipped as the Cardinals are to playing the Cubs, they have not played well against the Cubs this year. So, in my eyes, the past performance is a really good indicator of what's going to happen in the future. So, to really expect the Cardinals to really get the upper hand on the Cubs is, I don't, I don't 
going to be tough. It's tough for me to see. So before I hand it over, I'd like to obviously go over one more thing. Um, You guys have probably obviously heard. uh, Little girl gets hit by line drive, foul ball, down the left field line. Um, She was like probably – if you look the video, they were, I don't know, eight, nine rows up. They weren't too far up, I mean, but they were to a point where they were pretty far away from the dugout. There should have been some distance. So the discussion that obviously comes up now and that I'd like to get you guys' opinion on is should the MLB consider extending the protective netting despite the idea that that would take away foul balls, like the uh, the loose foul balls in a game that a lot of people really, really enjoy. So, uh, Larry, what do you think? Yeah, I've really come full circle on this to, to, to prefer the netting. Um, and, you know, I must say for, for many years, I was very privileged to sit right behind home plate in Bush stadium for about 11 rows behind home plate. And, you know, so had netting, you know, for years and years and years and really never saw it as a nuisance, but I understood people's, you know, argument to the contrary. Um, but, you know, I've really, as we've seen injuries, as, as we've seen more people distracted by, you know, cell phones and other, other things that take their attention away from the game, as we've seen, you know, bigger hitters and, and, and faster ball velocity, you know, I, I've been convinced that I think it's probably a, a good thing to do. Um, you know, we can say all we want. People should be paying attention when they're down there. But that, unfortunately, doesn't really comport with um, any sort of reality. Um, and even if you are, that doesn't guarantee that you're going to be uh, safe away. So um, I've, gone, I've gone all the way around. I, I, I never, never bothered me being behind the net. It didn't bother me that people argued that they shouldn't have the netting. But now having seen, you know, both close calls and a few hits, I would definitely say I'm in, I'm in favor of MLB doing something. Dan, what do you think? Larry, uh, again, very well said. I'm I'm so torn on this issue, and and frankly, I don't have a good reason to be. But I'll I'll tell you the basis of what I think, and with the caveat that I don't feel strongly about it. I don't think there's necessarily a wrong answer here. I think there are mm-hmm. different considerations. So with that said, here's what I think. MLB is torn on do I take away, quote-unquote, from the fan experience of the game and catching foul balls, which I've never been able to do personally, but it's one of the greatest (laughs) aspects of our game. You know, that's one of those things that, like, oh, you know, I want to get these seats because I'll get a better chance at getting a foul ball. Only baseball has that to offer. The other sports don't have that, Not, not not the rate that we do. Part of that is because we have limited netting. Okay, so I heard an interesting thought that made me think, so I'll share it. And I I don't disagree with it, but uh, someone said, well, are there certain seats in a baseball game that should be restricted to people who have young children? Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, okay, well, there's a good idea, and here's why. The same harm could happen to anybody who, for example, is not paying attention in the stands. So I recently, because I live in Chicago, 
took my puppy with my fiance to bark in the park at the White Sox game. Not that, <laughs> not because I like watching the White Sox. Nobody does. But because, you know, it was a cheap ticket and we could bring the dog. We were sitting in the stands and there was a bachelorette party at the game and a woman came like three inches on a home run ball in that game from getting hit right in the face with the ball because she was looking down and texting or something. She was on her device and everybody's guilty of it, but she wasn't paying attention at all to the game. And she came dangerously close to being hit by the ball. And so my question then would be, well, is there going to be a call for netting in the outfield? And I think people say, well, of course not. There's got to be some sort of assumption of risk that goes along with attending a baseball game where you have to expect to be certainly aware. However, Larry makes a good point that no matter how much you pay attention, there may not be adequate time, especially for a child, to react to a ball coming at them 105 miles off the bat for Todd Frazier. So Mm -hmm. that long-winded explanation of how I feel about it brings me to what I think the practical reality is, and that is, Changes in Major League Baseball most often are driven by the collective bargaining process. You are now seeing more than ever in the past a call from the players to have more protective netting for the fans. And what I think that will result in is this will become a line item the next time there is a collectively bargained agreement in the sport of baseball. The players' union will take a stance on this and the owners will put aside whatever the relatively marginal cost is of increasing the netting. And they, the very smart people will figure out that it will cost us X dollars to extend the netting. And that will decrease the risk of people getting hurt by X percent. And that's what they'll do. I think that will be a good decision. I think it'll be well supported and well thought out. But I don't think it should be made rashly, and I think it should be a decision that should be made with caution and should really be negotiated on how much that netting should be extended to not take away from the experience but to also keep all fans safe. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think that's perfect, Dan. Uh, I definitely do have to agree with the idea of uh, reserve seats for uh, or just reserving seats, or not reserving seats, but reverse reserving, I guess, keeping kids out of certain seats. But I just feel, obviously, that in terms of, like, a business model, just, like, practically speaking, just the idea of keeping kids out of a certain area. I know it's for safety, but at a baseball game like that, it, it, it could be more, it could also be an image thing. There's also the idea that baseball is, in comparison to some of these other sports, like football and, and basketball, the idea is that it could be quite, it's quote unquote boring. There's not as much action. You know, these are some of these general ideas that people have. So some teams and some, or then the MLB itself might be turned off by the idea of turning those people or making it seem even more boring or something of that nature. So uh, before I handed off some of the topics over to Dan, I'd like to take a quick commercial break. So uh, stick on around and uh, be sure to visit redbirdrants.com for uh, some excellent 
St. Louis Cardinal-related content. Uh, we'll be right back. And uh, we are back here with the uh, Redbird Rants official podcast. Uh, so I'd like to hand it off now over to Dan. You got uh, something good for us to talk about today. Here's what I want to talk about, guys, and it's, it's a topic, and I'll tell you why it surfaced for me. Uh, two reasons. There has been a bit of an afterthought uh, of a guy who totally took the Cardinals by storm last year. He was perceived as the savior of the shortstop position. You already know who I'm talking about, and that's the legend <laughs> Guys, I was shocked in the best possible way when I was looking at the amazing work that Paul DeYoung has done. And I said, well, wow, there's been a lot of talk recently about where he ranks among Cardinals rookies of all time. And here's why. As many of you recently learned, Paul DeYoung passed Chris Duncan for the, the record for the second most home runs by a Cardinals rookie. Obviously, Albert has the most, and, and it's probably not going to be broken, I'll be honest with you. But Paul DeYoung shot himself into second. I was surprised to see, because I had forgotten, like so many of us, that the former rookie record for homers by a shortstop was Alevins Diaz last year with 17. Alevins mm-hmm. Zeppelin, as many of us call him, uh, still holds the Cardinals' shortstop rookie record for slugging percentage. It's something like 532. And Paul DeYoung may very well break that this year. But it raised it led me to an interesting question, and that is what is the role going forward for Aledmus Diaz on this team? Does he have one? Has he totally fallen out of the graces of the Cardinals' brass? Can he get back there maybe by repositioning himself as a third baseman? And if you accept, this is the last question, it's a series of questions, but if you accept my premise that Alemis Diaz should be the third baseman for the 2018 St. Louis Cardinals, who's the odd man out? Is it Jed Jerko? Is it Matt Carpenter? Is it, for example, Colton Wong? So, I want us to explore the role of Aledmus Diaz, his importance to the franchise, either internally or possibly as a trade chip, and what you guys think about the role he could play, not for this year's team, but for next year's team. Uh, Well, I really think that at this point, in my eyes, I think the first couple of days, the first couple of weeks of next season will be really important in determining that. I don't think that based off what Atlantis Diaz has done this year, that there's any reason to put him in the majors next year over a guy like DeYoung, over a guy like Carpenter. There's just no real... He doesn't... I mean, he the, in the AAA, he's hitting two fifty three. And that would be okay in a sense if he was really slugging this year, but he only has four homers and 26 RBIs. I mean, he has, I mean, obviously he has been hurt. He did take 170 at bats, but that's still a pretty low number for 170 at bats. So I think that he really needs to sort of prove that he still has 
it before I'm ready to bring him back. But if he does prove that he has it, say, and we'll, we'll go on that premise that he does really establish himself as that starting third baseman, at the end of the day, you have to really sort of see where the team is and look long-term. And in my eyes, I think the long-term the, probably the best long-term situation would be to get rid of Jorko. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, he's a great player. He's played well for us. But he's not real St. Louis. Like, he hasn't really been with the St. Louis Cardinals. He isn't really integrated in the – or not – he isn't integrated as much so in the sort of culture with other players, other managers, you know, other coaches, as a guy like Matt Carpenter has been with us for, for quite a while. So I think that overall, I don't think that he's ready for it. I think that he really has to reprove himself. But if he does prove himself, which I do think he has the talent to, I think that you would definitely have to think about, despite how well Jarko is playing, for the long-term future, Jarko would be the odd man out. But I've rambled on long enough. Larry, what do you think? Um, so... <laughs> So uh, <laughs> this is a really interesting conversation, and I've had it with my adult son, Aaron, many times. Um, so Aladmus Diaz last year, um, overall, had, had I, I, think, I think you have to say, other, other than the, 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 the mere number of home runs, you know, had a superior year to what Paul DeYoung's having this year. He, you know, his on base was about 370. He only struck out 60 times, half as much as DeYoung struck has, has struck out this year. He had an OPS of 134. DeYoung's 120 this year, and, and most importantly, he showed an incredible ability to make contact with the ball in, in, in very um, impressive, mature ways. Which is one of the reasons why this this thing this year is a mystery. And when I get done talking, if any of you guys have had an occasion to really watch him carefully, you know, or have serious batting analysis about this year, I'd love, I'd love to hear it. Um, you know, when you so, – so what are you left with? You're left with a guy with a great year last year and, you, and another guy who, who's had a great year this year. The other thing is, of course, the fielding, right? And, 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 and to some extent, Diaz got a bad rap because a huge percentage of his um, of his errors uh, were committed in the first six weeks. Um, so he he had a huge cluster, and there's no doubt that he was just terrible as all get out in the field. But but I think you know if you look at his recovery over the year, it was reasonably good. Um, yeah. On the other hand, I think the young who played shortstop, you know. Uh, Played shortstop is is reasonably adept at it. I don't think he will ever set the world on fire at it, but he seems sure-handed as all get out. Um, he, I don't know if this is a good statistical com- comparable, but I thought of it a couple times when I watched him play this year, um, and that's of Larry Boa, somebody who you know is sure-handed, is going to make most of the conventional plays, and a, and a few of the um, the harder to reach ones, but but maybe not. With the with the athletic prowess of a more gifted shortstop, um, one of the things that in trying to predict what's going to happen next year, 
um, is betting average uh, on balls in play. And we know, and it's, it's not obviously determinative, but it's suggestive. And we know this year, the Young's had a very highly above average betting average for balls in play. It's been about 350, if I recall correctly. Um, Diaz, and I went back and looked at it, if I remember right, I think it was about 312, which isn't that far above the um, MLB average, which I think covers around 300, right? So I think so, so Diaz was able to accomplish all that uh, seemingly without a great deal of luck. So, um, um, so that, that begs the question, you know, who do you roll the dice on next year? And my answer is, I don't know yet. It kind of depends who we see coming out next year uh, in spring training and, as Christian says, at the beginning of the season. Nevertheless, um, my feeling is, and I've written about it, that I think Jerko has been an incredible, incredibly stabilizing influence at third base this year. Um, he showed glimpses of it last year, and then he really turned it on this year with fine, fine third base play. He was a shortstop in college, and so we know he has that natural uh, strong defensive ability. Um, most of his months this year were very fine offensively, actually. Uh, August was a, a, was a dud, and then he got hurt. Um, so for me, if I'm looking at the offseason going into next year, um, I like Jerko as the incumbent until proven otherwise. I like seeing what happens with Diaz and DeYoung. I see nothing wrong if they're both uh, performing fine to have them both on the team. I like Colton Wong at second base. And for me, as I've said before, I think the odd man out because of his trade value, his positional versatility, his ability to be a DH and get on base, and, and a very reasonable two years' worth of salary is Matt Carpenter. I think he's the most tradable contract. He's the guy I would want to deal if I could in the offseason. And so I guess I hope, Dan, that answers all the multi-parts of your question. Hey, hey, Larry, just like a lawyer to ask a bunch of multi-part questions, right? Anything to confuse the results. Um, <laughs> hey, I just want to throw a couple more things at you guys while we're on the topic. Paul DeYoung has played 97 or 98 games for the Cardinals. He struck out about 120 times. Yeah. In twice as many games at the major league level, Aledmus Diaz has struck out 18 fewer times than Paul DeYoung in twice as many games. I know, I know that's amazing. I know we're in the boomer bust, homers and strikeouts era. But there's a lot of guys in our system who can hit home runs and strike out. Not all of them play shortstop. But maybe we need more contact guys. The other thing I'll add is that when Aledmus Diaz was sent down, and I understand that he was struggling and he, he maybe needed to be sent down, and it hasn't worked out great, but he was leading the Cardinals in hits and doubles when he was sent down. He's one of the better base runners on the team. And the question for me becomes, if you could have a Ledmus Diaz of his rookie year with to the tune of a 370 on base and a 280 to 300 average with, count them, five more years of control after your year deal expires. He is not even 
eligible for arbitration, which means that the Cardinals can actually retain him next year for a lower salary, which is astonishing, than he's making this year. And then we have control over him for five more years, two years at a a lower amount, and then I believe three years in arbitration. The question becomes, if you had Diaz of last year, the rookie season Diaz, 300 average, 369 OBP, 17 homers, lots of doubles, great base running, lots of infield hits. Do you take that at third base? Or would you rather have Jorko with a lot of homers, never hit above, call it 250, 260 in his career, total boomer bust player, and very streaky? What do you take? Well, it's a great question. I mean, I mean, and, and I don't think there's any one, one right answer. I would say this. I would say, you know, the, uh, we, know, uh, we know about some great Chicago players who started out at shortstop and evolved, morphed into first baseman, right, Dan? I mean, you know, Mr. Cub. It, it's not inconceivable that if Carpenter were dealt, um, there could be a competition possibly between somebody like a Jose Martinez and, um, and, 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 you know, maybe uh, if, if, if you like uh, DeYoung at first base and you like Jerko, maybe you look at Aladdin Diaz over at first base. I mean, there, there, are some, there are some questions that can be answered creatively. I wrote a crazy column a few weeks ago about Trafalgar at first base because of the outfield crowd, and that may become even more crowded if they go after a free agent or trade for one of the, uh, one of the Marlins outfielders. But, you know, I don't know that we have to answer that question today. And certainly, Diaz, I think we can probably agree that Diaz is going to have to prove that he's capable of returning to something that resembles, uh, that is closer to resembling his 2016 uh, campaign before anybody hands over an everyday starting uh, infield position to him, right? Absolutely, Larry. Well said. Very good points. Christian, what do you think? Uh, I mean, I definitely got to agree. Uh, I think a big part of it is the fact that, I mean, the big part of Alimus Diaz's struggles is the fact that his OBP in the minors this year is 305. He hasn't That's really terrible. been, I, it's, it's, I mean, look, people can say he, looked, he only played 46 games. The young is only 320. The young walks this is true. about as much as I walk to work. <laughs> this is true. This is true. I mean, and especially considering we have a another outfielder who does similar things, uh, I'm sure about 95% of the writers on this uh, that could show up on this podcast would uh, be quite upset with that whole thing repeating. Uh, I do like the idea that uh, we could get a power guy that doesn't strike out because I feel like those seem to be dwindling for whatever reason in the majors. But once again with the way that Diaz has played this year, he has, he has a whole lot to prove before I'm like, I'm ready to really accept him back. I think that uh, De Jong has a little bit more value just because he's really, he's like still shown that he has the power this year. And I think just that immediate sort of gratification really works wonders. But if Aledmus Diaz can get back to 
what he was last year, what he was in his rookie season. If he can get back to that consistency, 300, with maybe just under 20 home runs, decent amount of walks, doesn't strike out very much. I mean, at the end of the day, having a dude, a guy like that, a very fundamental guy, is what has won the Cardinals games over the past 10, 15 years. I mean, at the end of the day, some of these guys that we love are guys like Scott Spezio, David Eckstein. They aren't like massive smackers. So I think that if you really look at it from top to bottom, I would say you definitely take Diaz. If you get him back from what he was in his rookie year, but I don't see that happening right away just because not only of just in terms of just getting back into it at a major league level, but I mean, at the end of the day, a year like this can really take a toll on a young kid mentally. So I think it it will take some time during that time. I think at the end of the day, in terms of performance, I think Jorko is the best guy to fill in for that moment. But I definitely think that I'm definitely hoping that Diaz could really bring himself back into form and really replace Jarko there. So, anyway, um, you guys want to kick it over to Dan, uh, Larry. Sorry. Um, Larry, what do you got? Anything on your mind? Uh, I was, I was kind of thinking about, and I wanted your guys' opinion about this. Um, you know, we, um, we went through some pretty scary moments this year with, the St. Louis Cardinals bullpen. Um, you know, it's been it's been, you know, uh, Jekyll and Hyde kind of season with the bullpen, right? Some stretches where, you know, it was so grotesque, you know, you you wanted to look away and and yet you couldn't. But then there were other times where you felt like, all right, that's going down reasonably well, and there there didn't seem to be. I'm not quite sure. Uh, and and this is one thing I'd like your guys' opinion about is. Wasn't quite sure if it was a reflection on who was hot and who was not, if it was a way that they were being used or abused by the manager um, or what. But what we do know is there aren't going to be the same guys in the bullpen next year, at least not all of them. We know that, uh, uh, that O will be gone. We know, unless he's resigned, I believe that Jack Duke will be gone. Um, you know, we already know we've seen Kevin Segrist gone. Um, you know, uh, we we don't know the future of Rosie at this point. Um, what I'd like to know from you guys is, you know, who do you think should be core members? And we don't have to talk about closer at this point. I think it's probably premature unless you want to offer your opinion. But just who who of the folks who are who have been on the in the bullpen for the better part of the season, do you think should be core elements of next year's bullpen? And then also, um, you know, which young guys uh, do you think have the best chance of cracking that bullpen for next year? Let's start with Dan this time. Larry, uh, as as usual, great question. And, and, And here's why I say it. There are at least three people who are out for next year. You mentioned all of them. Duke, always highly unlikely to resign, and Rosenthal is at least out for next year with his surgery. Who's going to replace those guys? And then do we do it via free agency internally or trade? And I think the answer is a little bit of 
all of the above. So let me give you a little example of what I'm talking about, and then I'll tell you what I think. I was infuriated when the Cardinals didn't sign Andrew Miller for, what did he get, four years, $44 million, I think it was. I know it's high, air quotes, for a reliever, but this is a dynamic guy. He's a left-hander with heat who reinvented himself over his career, and and we didn't even take a shot at him. It's not like we lost out in the final three, or like, we didn't bid quite enough, like with David Price. It was nothing like that. We just didn't even try. And the Cardinals have a strategy of not paying big dollars for relievers. And that's based on the premise that internally you can fill these reliever roles with flamethrower starters who don't work out or whatever. And I'll tell you, it's a flawed theory and it doesn't work. And here's what should really happen. In the offseason, there's going to be a few free agents. Wade Davis is one of them. He has absolutely dominated the Cardinals this year. Grant Balfour is another one. He's had hiccups this year, but he's largely had a really good rebound season from his surgery and injury past. He also has a pedigree with the Kansas City Royals as being the guy who, who, who had the ball in the ninth inning over Wade Davis and Calvin Herrera. So, I think the Cardinals should make a run at one of those guys. I also think that on the free agent market, a reunion with a guy like Pat Neshek would be phenomenal. I didn't understand why we didn't even make an offer to the guy whenever he was a free agent, and we should try to. There additionally are three names that I think we should target in the trade deadline or at least put feelers out there to see what the price is. Those names all come from the same team, so it's relatively convenient. Zach Britton, Darren O'Day, and uh, I can't remember his first name right now, but Bach or Brock? Yeah, Brad Brock. Those th- Thank you. Thank you. Those three guys are studs. Obviously, Zach Britton is the crown jewel, and he would be costly, but we've got a prospect logjam, and we need to undo that logjam by – paying a decent price for a trade acquisition. Zach Britton from the left side would be what Brett Cecil was supposed to be, okay? And he could lock down any portion of this bullpen. He would be a great sign. Those are the free agent or trade acquisitions I think we could get. To Larry's last point, the one guy who I could see entering the pen as a young guy, Sandy. Oh, Sandy, baby. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Sandy Alcantara, the he's the guy. He, Sandy, 100 miles per hour, the heater. He throws every pitch with gusto. He's huge. He's a living dinosaur. <laughs> the guy is a monster, and he absolutely has dominated everybody in his cup of coffee at the big leagues this year. He will continue to do the same. Here's the only concern. I don't want Sandy to be locked into the same position that Trevor was locked into. I don't want him to be so good at being the closer that he is just the closer because the guy has the stuff to start. Sandy should enter the bullpen a la Carlos Martinez a couple years ago and be groomed into being a starter. 
Jack Flaherty and company should continue to be groomed as starters. And Sandy is the internal option to lock down the eighth or eventually ninth inning next year. He has the stuff. He has the makeup. And, guys, he wants it. So he's the internal option. Those are my answers to Larry's questions, and I'm happy to receive any feedback that you guys have. But I think one quick question have before we go on to their approach. Who, who do you like? Who do you who do you want to see come back? Who's been in our bullpen this year? You know, honestly, I I think Zach Duke is the most likely guy to come back, given that Segrist is gone. Zach Duke, left-hander who can get out left-handers, is a former starter, which has a lot of value to me. And he, he can get right-handers out. So he can be used in a lot of situations for a guy like Mike Matheny, who picks his guys and sticks with his guys no matter what. Zach Duke can be a guy who can get a lot of outs for you. So if there's one guy to return, Zach Duke is my guy. That gives you a lot of lefties, but I'm okay with that. So that's, that, that's my pick on the follow-up question. Okay. Christian, what about you? Well, uh, I guess I got a lot to talk here. So I am really happy that someone mentioned Brad Brock because I have been very high on him. I think he'd be great for the Cardinals, not only because he's been a very just consistent pitcher over the last couple of years, but because I don't think that we'd have to mortgage or give up as much as we would for a guy like Zach Britton, for a guy like Wade Davis. I think that looking for, for value outside – in those types of positions, I think is good. And I think Brad Brock just would fit perfectly if, if they would go after him. Internally, um, I'll actually bring up a couple of interesting names that you guys might not see coming. The first is uh, I think Luke Weaver would be a pretty decent spot in the, in the, uh, in the bullpen. Um, I think that he's a great starter, obviously, but I also think that he doesn't have the particular frame to last for a long period, like a long season. I mean, he's six two one seventy. He he's got the he's a kind of stringy dude. So I don't know if he has the capacity to really last a whole season. And I think someone with the kind of control that he has, with he doesn't have to sort of mix up pitches as much because he's only going through a couple of batters. He's not going through a whole lineup two or three times. Not as much report scouting report on him, things like that. I think that he, if things don't work out, as I, I wrote about this, if things don't work out as a starter, if he starts to struggle, if he starts to get tired, then I think they should really, really consider putting him in the bullpen long term. Another guy that would be interesting to see perhaps to the, at the start to sort of work in internally uh, is Alex Reyes. I mean, the dude has the stuff. He's got ridiculous heat on his fastball. He's got great breaking balls. He's definitely got the the splitting, leg-splitting stuff that can strike people out, can really get you through the ninth and put a lot of pressure on teams to go after you in the ninth, to have to score in the ninth inning. Um, I think that it would be interesting to see him do that simply be, also because he needs to rehab. I think it would be a good way for him to rehab back if he perhaps works low-leverage situations first and then slowly moves into higher leverage situations to sort of decrease the amount of stress on his arm as he goes back into it. Um, I think, uh, so those are my answers in that point. 
Uh, anything else for us, Larry? Anything else on your mind? Uh, let's stay with that a little bit because we have some guys who um, – and let us know when we need a break. But we, we have oh, no some problem. guys we haven't, haven't talked about in the bullpen who have been mainstays uh, like Brebbia and, uh, and Matt Bowman. Um, and now we've seen Ryan Sheriff come up and, of course, Tui with the Memphis Shuttle. Are you guys bullish on the guys like that remaining part of the bullpen? Uh, I mean, I definitely think that I, – I have been historically high on Tui. I think he's got great stuff. I mean, these are all guys that have proven themselves this year. I mean, I don't think they guys like Tui, guys like Brevia have really gotten enough time. I mean, at the end of the day, you need ta- you need the experience to really show whether or not you're ready for it. You can't just pick. You can't just be a couple of games. It really you got to get a, a decent sample size. So I think that from the small sample size that we have, I mean, I think that these guys should be mainstays. But we don't have that. We don't really for guys like Tui who only played 15 games. I mean. Guys like, I mean, Brebbia is a little bit more stable, I think, but there are some of the guys, guys like Sheriff, who've only played nine games. I would definitely like to see them back in, but if they're not going to get the time that they deserve, then I would just rather see them in the minors either develop or prepare themselves as a trade piece. But what do you think, what do you think Dan? That, that, that's an interesting point. And I, CMS, I've always thought the same thing that you have, and that's that Tui has never gotten his shake. I feel like every time Tui comes up, the guy can deal triple digits, care how hard people are throwing today. It's rare. And if you look at the batting average against pitches thrown in the triple digits, it's not high, and it never <laughs> will be. And that's because it can't be. And here's the thing. If Tui had the chance to have a full season at the majors, I believe with my heart of hearts that he would be successful. And he's never given that opportunity. And for the life of me, I can't understand why. I would be perfectly fine with Tui having a role in the bullpen next year, a defined role. That would do wonders for him. He obviously, if you look at any of the social media of the Cardinals, He's a big part of the dynamic of the Tommy Pham, Dexter Fowler, Colton Wong group, which has become a very big vocal group of team leaders. Those guys like him. He's a part of that group, and he could establish himself quickly if he had a defined role. Ryan Shara has shown a lot of good things this year. The problem with Ryan Shara, and there's only one, he's a victim of poor timing. We currently just released Segrist, who was the left-hander of the last three years. Tyler Lyons has ascended, and we cannot at this point depart from Brett Cecil because he has three years remaining on his contract. Zach Duke will be gone, but whether the car- query whether the Cardinals want to carry three left-handers and the third one being Ryan Sheriff, when they could give a guy like Brebbia who they've trusted so far, or a guy like Tui who can gas a hundred, a chance in the majors. And that's a big question. I don't know what the answer is to that. 
but I would probably go with two left-handers, Tyler Lyons being available at every opportunity, and a guy like Cecil, when he's right, being available for leverage situations. Then, then having a guy like Sheriff, who obviously can can deal against lefties and righties, but doesn't have the track record, and therefore his timing is just poor. So I, I think that's what we see happening. The Cardinals show lack of trust in relievers. They should show some more in Tui. They should show a little bit more in a guy like Brebia, who's proven he can deal at the major league level. And they've got to do something with these guys. I think the answer is to give them a chance at the major league level. And that, that could be an option instead of signing or trading for some of these uh, these bigger-name guys. Yeah, and we really have to hope that that's something that they're going to look at uh, in training camp and spring training. But uh, anyway, we're going to take our second commercial break. Uh, stick with us here at the uh, Redbird Rants official podcast. And we are back here at the Redbird Rants official podcast. Uh, some score updates before we get into the next topic. Uh, Milwaukee now has a lead. They took the lead in the bottom of the eighth. Now up 3-2 on the Cubs at the top of the ninth. We've got the Colorado Rockies and the Padres. They're still at 0-0 uh, through four innings. And, of course, the Cardinals were able to pull out the victory uh, in Cincinnati. So, that being said, what do you guys um, – do you guys have any other topics you'd like to discuss? I wouldn't mind talking about this, uh, this article today about uh, where um, Bob Nightingale, the longtime baseball writer, thinks that it's possible that the Cardinals will play for J.D. Martinez in the offseason in the comments that he made to Bernie Miklas. Um, And I'm curious what your guys' opinion is about that. Well, that's the first I've heard of that news, and that would be, (laughs) I think that would be, that would be, uh, I think he is definitely a, a very good fit on paper. Um. Obviously, he's going to slide into a kind of crowded position, which will be interesting to see how that would work. It'll also be interesting to see how much money he's going to command solely off the fact, just solely off of how well he's played this year and the fact that he's already making double digit, double, a double-digit salary. So it would be interesting to see how far the Cardinals are willing to extend. But if they can get a guy like J.D. Martinez, at the end of the day, that's the vice in the middle of the lineup that, the Cardinals could really have used this year. What do you think? Well, well, I'll, I'll tell you, Christian and Larry, it, it's a good point. And here's the head scratcher about J.D. Martinez. J.D. Martinez is not considered a, let's call it a lineup ace, a number one. He's always been considered as a 1A or a 2. Think about when Kershaw and Grinky were on the same staff, and everybody mm-hmm. obviously included that Grinky or Kershaw was the number one, and Grinky was the one A or the number two. Martinez has held a similar role his entire career. He's always, except for you know the stint in Houston, which everyone forgets about, he's always hit around or behind 
Miguel Cabrera, or recently Paul Goldschmidt. Those are big people to hit behind. I think that's actually a plus for him and not a minus, but other people take it as a minus. And he's not considered like a superstar as if Paul Goldschmidt were to be a free agent right now. I don't quite understand why, but I'll tell you this. The Cardinals are not going to sign a guy like that. They're not going to sign a guy like that because the dollars that he commands, that I think he's age 29, he's somewhere right around 29 or 30. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But he, he is going to command a, a Justin Upton quality of contract. That's a five- or six-year deal worth $140-plus million. The Cardinals didn't bite on Upton, who had a lot of potential, a lot of upside, even given his sort of track record with his longevity at the major league system. Martinez does not have as much. He's a resurgence candidate. He's found himself. He's obviously a streaky hitter that hits a lot of bombs. And he also gets on bases a good clip, and he hits a lot of doubles and other extra base sets. I like him a lot. He's not the pedigree of the Cardinals. And given the outfield glut, as I'll call it, and the potential therein, I don't see the Cardinals signing him. I see them looking elsewhere at a, quote-unquote, better trade candidate, a la Christian Yelich or Ozuna or Giancarlo Stanton, any of the Marlins outfielders who I think all the Cardinals value better than J.D. Martinez or someone else. The last thing to consider is that J.D. Martinez does not have as good rep as a defensive outfielder. And the Cardinals, at least on the face of things, have feigned an interest on a defensive first or outfielder. And he is not that. So if they stick with that sort of false premise, which is false because we signed Dexter Fowler and we, we continue to platoon a bunch of people in the outfield like the Matt Adams experiment that don't offer defensive <laughs> value at all. They continue to feign interest in defensive improvement in the outfield. He's not a target. So that's where I stand. I don't think we'll sign him. He'll be too rich for our blood given our current position. And I, I, I unfortunately, because I really like him and his opposite field power especially, I think he'll go elsewhere, and the Cardinals won't sign him. But I'm interested to see uh, what you all think. There were two things in the article that were interesting. One was that Nightingale said he could be had for under $100 million, and I'm not sure that I agree with that. Um, you know, he's 30, so I think, you know, he could definitely push for a six-year with $20 million a year plus. And, and so I don't necessarily agree with that. And then the other point that Nightingale was making was that, you know, the Cardinals wouldn't have to give up prospects, you know, if they sign the, the free agent. But, you know, the Cardinals are, it may not be at the prospect end, but if the Cardinals play for an outfielder, they're going to have to give up somebody because they're flush, you know, with those guys right now at the major league level, if not the minor league level. So, so I'm not sure they're going to necessarily mind when they, uh, when they do decide what they want for a bat, I don't know that they're going to mind giving up guys who are at or near the major league level already. Level. Um, so I'll That's be interested to see what happens in, in, in that regard. So, so I mean, I still think the more likely, the more likely fit is the trade with the Marlins for one of their, one of their boppers. Um, and I think we will have to give up good prospects if we do that. 
and I think um, none of those guys are probably as bad as uh, as um, as J.D. Martinez in the outfield. Most years he's been just modestly bad, but there's been one or two years where he's been major league bad in the outfield. So I agree with Dan that that profile probably doesn't fit with a team that's trying to up their game in terms of consistency on defense. All right. Uh, those are some great points. I definitely think that it would be – if we could pull off an Ozuna or Yellick trade, I think that it's definitely more likely considering the Cardinals' history. Uh, they haven't been – got a team that really, really, really overpay for a big bat uh, outside of the organization. I mean, obviously you got the legacy contracts like Yachty, but they haven't really gone too crazy outside of the organization, like gone after the top guys pay the top dollar so i definitely think that if we could that the ozuna and yellow trade are more likely and i agree it would definitely just be better for the cardinals so i i would like to uh bring it back to this season um since we know the cardinals have now won uh they're slowly climbing their way and so somehow they might actually have a shot the postseason uh we've got a, our next series is against pittsburgh um, we got a matchup, a Waka versus Novo matchup, uh, a Lynn versus Cole matchup, and then John Gant, I believe, will be making his debut. I'm not 100% <laughs> sure. But, I mean, that's a guy I've heard floating around the organi- minor league organization for a while. So, Gant will be starting against uh, Jameson Talion. So, how many games will the Cardinals take in that, do you guys think? I will start with Larry. Go for it. Oh, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's fine, Dan. Go for it. Okay, uh, I think we will take two out of three, and I'll tell you, unfortunately, the two out of three that we'll take, we're going to take the Cole game, which it, people would think is the least likely for us to win. Lynn will beat Cole. I'm big on Lance Lynn. Everybody who listens knows that. And we're going to take the John Gant game. John Gant has shown increased velocity, very good control, and a resilience that a lot of the Cardinals starters and relievers could use. And I think he's going to show up at the Pittsburgh game. I don't want to say three out of three because I don't want to seem like a homer. I think there's a good chance we take three out of three with Waka going in, in sort of his resurgence season, his return to dominance, which I'm very happy as I sit here on this podcast wearing my Waka 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 shirt. Uh, (laughs) I I promise you he's one of my favorite players, and and I've always wanted him to have good success all the time. So I'm glad he's found it this season. Now, Lance Lynn, I've always said, is better than Sonny Gray, and people smock at me for that. And the Colorado fans smocked at me when I said they should trade for him. And I'm glad they didn't because we're in the hunt now, okay? But Lance Lynn can beat Garrett Cole, especially Garrett Cole of this year, who has been on my fantasy team, by the way, and not done very well. So (laughs) I think Garrett Cole can win. I'm expecting a short hook most importantly, but also a good performance from John Gant on Sunday. So given that I think he can easily do two or three innings, 
of really, really good work. He's going to get the hook and turn it over to a fresher Adam Wainwright or someone of that ilk or Jack Flaherty. And I think we have a chance to win two out of three from Pittsburgh. And by the way, we have to win two out of three from Pittsburgh at a minimum, if not a sweep, to stay in this race, to put fate of the postseason in our own hands. I think you guys know that, and I believe it strongly. But I think we have a very good statistical chance of winning two out of three. So I'm happy to hear what you guys think and your responses to that. I'm I'm going all homer on this one. I um and and last weekend when I picked two out of three, it was obviously a, an errant, wrong, aberrant prediction. It was terrible. The team got mopped up. Um, so I probably have no rational basis for for doing this, but I do like uh, a lot of what Walk has done the second half of the season. Um, you know, I do, uh, even, even against Garrett Cole, I do like Lance Lynn and, and, you know, who knows? I mean, you know, it cuts both ways. Sometimes it's, you know, too amped up and we've seen that at Flaherty, right? In a couple of his early starts, um, you know, where he's just looked a little bit befuddled out there and had a little bit of a hard time locating, um, you know, Gant's been a he was a you know prize pro, pro, project, no <laughs> prospect. Sorry, before uh, before we dealt for him, um, you know, so he's not uh, he's not coming, you know, way out from left field. I think he's he's gotten to this point by earning it, despite some some hurts. Um, and I'm ex- very excited for him to see what he looks like um, on Sunday. Um, and, you know, I don't think the competition is horrific. And, you know, it's Jameson Tyon who's been very, very uh, up and down, um, you know, when, when healthy, of course. Uh, he's been up and down. And and so I think we got a shot at all three. I, I've been very pleased, even against mediocre pitching, to see the uh, the offense be as strong as it's been against Cincinnati. And that climb back from the weekend gives me some – some real strong hope. So I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to call sweep, and undoubtedly I'll be wrong. <laughs> well, I, I'm i honestly going to uh, agree with you, Larry. Um, I would be inclined not to under a lot of circumstances simply because, for whatever reason, this team has no idea what the word momentum means because <laughs> no matter how good they look. Great point. Great point, CMI. They, no matter how good they look and – a series, no matter how good they look in a game, they can just turn around completely 180 and look like a T-ball team. I mean, but the reason I'm going to say, there are two reasons I'm going to say that I think that we'll sweep. A, I like the pitching matchups. I think that if it were, say, Lynn versus Nova, Waka versus Cole, I honestly, I think that we might lose the, we would lose the Waka game. But I think that our pitchers are lined up very well with theirs to where I think we have a better pitcher at every turn of the rotation or every every game. So I'm – and honestly, wouldn't it be so Cardinal-esque with the number of ridiculously weird comebacks that we've seen over the past, like, five or so years? Wouldn't it be interesting, wonderfully Cardinal-esque for them to – after all this, all this happened this year, for them to win, like, what – it's like seven of the last, eight of the last 12, 10 of the last 12, and 
make the playoffs. I mean, I just like there's something about the Cardinals that just makes me feel it. And maybe it's me being a homer, but I mean, there's just something about the car about the organization. I don't know what it is, but they just always seem to be able to sneak their way in, even though I don't feel like they deserve it. So I'm gonna go with I think that I think that they'll get I think they will get the sweep. But uh the next thing oh, if yeah, unless you have anything to add. Nope. Anything? Okay. Uh, well, the next thing I'd like to talk about, and we might take up the rest of our 15 minutes for this, but since uh, Tito's not here, he can't crucify me for this question. So we've had a lot of, at least Dr. Miles and I have had the opinion that making the playoffs might not be the most ideal thing for this team. But I haven't really had, we haven't really openly discussed it. So I'd like to go into that. Do you want to see this team make the playoffs? And if not, what do you hope will occur as a result of them not making the playoffs? Anyone may start. Uh, Larry, since uh, you so graciously gave it up. um, Well, let me say this. Um, Yes, yes, yes. our good friend, Dr. Miles, thinks that not making the playoffs means that Mike Matini is going to lose his job. Um, I, I have to disagree with him, even though I, like Dr. Miles, very much want Mike Matini to lose his job. Um, I, think, I think the team's committed. I think the team's won too many games with all the youngins. I think they'll, they'll, they'll tell a narrative of, Boy, they played with you know, they played with Memphis North, and look what an admirable job they did, taking it down to the wire. So, so no matter how, uh, no matter how much some of us might like that uh, that conclusion, um, you know, I'm just I'm just not seeing it coming. And for me, it's always just more fun being in the playoffs. It's just more fun being in the playoffs. Um, it keeps the the end of the season more interesting for me. I love the Cardinals so much. Um, you know, I'm not a hater against any any particular team since I grew up in Chicago. You know, I'm not a I'm not a huge Cub hater, so I don't think that that's um, uh, and, and so that's not a reason that I uh, want us to stick around to beat anybody else in particular. Um, the curse, you know, the end of the curse didn't bother me once we were out of the playoffs. But it, it's just it's one of the things that we all live for. You know, it's the passion. It's the magic. It's the love. It's the thing that separates the analytical aspects of baseball from the emotive uh, side of baseball. Um, you know, if we're not there, I have my preferences. I very much would like to see the Cleveland Indians win a World Series. But, but, uh, but, but first and foremost, yeah. I mean, no matter how it might affect the roster or the um, or the manager, I want the Cardinals to be there. Wow, you know, as as usual, Larry makes both great and salient points, and let me tell you why. A couple of things. Larry pointed out, and appropriately so, the most important fact to answer CMS's question, and that is the Cardinals have won too many games to not want to make the playoffs. The marginal return between not making the playoffs in that draft pick and making the playoffs in that draft pick 
is too small for the Cardinals to not want to make it at this point. We've won too many games. So, what are your favorite things about the 2006 and 2011 St. Louis Cardinals, the last two teams to win championships? I posit that one of your favorite things about those two teams is that they struggled so much that they were not the likely champions. They were not the consensus team to win the World Series. That is what the 2017 Cardinals would be. They would be a team that had promised that may have been clicking at the right time but did not have all the answers to win the World Series. And if we won the World Series this year, we would live on in Cardinals lore as the team that squandered an entire season and then figured it out at the last minute and went on a playoff run, got, quote-unquote, hot at the right time. And that's what I'd like to see. I'm with Larry. I always, always will lean towards making the playoffs because you never know what a team can do once they're in the playoffs. So I always want that. And if a team is going to bomb, if they're not going to make the playoffs, if they're going to play for the draft pick, our team has won too many games this year to effectively maximize that draft pick. Now, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, when we were a few games or a couple games below 500, totally out of the wild card and the central, I would have said, okay, bomb the rest of the season. Let's get that draft pick. Let's lock it up. But the marginal difference between pick number 21 and pick number 30 is so small that it's not worth it for this team. You go for making the playoffs. You go for broke. And if you don't make it, you take the, you take the draft pick you get, and you consider the value of that pick when you're trying to assess the signing of free agent players. You make that assessment and you decide what to do with those guys. But I'll tell you, we've won too many games, as Larry said. We've got to go for it now. And if we don't make it, we don't make it. But if we do make it, then we're a force to be reckoned with because we're a team a lot of teams don't want to see. We've got a great one-game starter. We've got timely hitting from our young guys. We've got a lot of guys who can get on base. It's everything this team was built to be that it hasn't culminated in this year, that we could, could perform as in the playoffs. And that should scare every NL playoff team, and it does. And that's why we have a shot, and that's why we should want to be in the playoffs. But if we're not, then we should consider that draft pick in signing free agents, and we should also consider whether or not we really, really, really want that 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 pick as opposed to a free agent guy. That's all I have to say about it. I, I definitely think you guys both make great points. Um, I actually disagree. I do think that missing the playoffs would be beneficial, but not more so from the logistical standpoint in, that, in the regards of the drafting. I don't think that missing the playoffs will – get Matheny fired. But what I'm hoping for is that there's at least some sort of change. There's some sort of a wake up in the front office, because at the end of the day, 
it, this could be an opinion thing, but at the end of the day, I do not see the, the things that have been done in this organization over the past, since Lewis has begun. I just don't see these moves really were getting us towards a World Series. I don't see the things that I like need to see from a team. I don't see the men- the development of the young players. I don't see the mental toughness. I don't see these things out of this team that I saw out of. And on top of that, Matheny has been questionable in his management of bullpen and lineup and et cetera. I don't think that it will get him fired, but I think that missing the playoffs would be an eye-opener of sorts. I think – I would hope – okay. I this might be because, look, I've, I'm a fan outside of MLB. I'm a fan of a lot of bad teams, all right? Buccaneers haven't been to the playoffs in NFL in, like, 20 years. <laughs> look, the Warriors were freaking awful for longest time. I mean, I'm, like, used to missing these things. I understand that sometimes missing the playoffs for one year uh, at the end of the day, it could be more beneficial in that regard. Like, you look at – I'll take the Warriors, for example, once again. They didn't miss the playoffs, per se, but when they failed to get past with Mark Jackson, they really took a look at themselves, and they understood this is not what we need to do in order to win, in order to get all the way. So they got rid of them. And, you know, that might be just a lucky selection. That might just be, you know, who would have thought? Steve Kerr is great. Or, you know, they have a lot of talent. But I think it's more the principle of the idea that you're not just complacent. You're not just satisfied with just making the playoffs. You're not just satisfied with just, you know, mediocrity. You want to work towards, even if it means missing the playoffs this year, you want to work towards a team or a product that will compete for a championship, that will be able to compete for a World Series for a long time. And I think that at the end of the day, the Cardinals' management has been so – I mean, we've, they've been winning for so long and they've been so successful that there hasn't been any sort of need to really look, in, look inward, look internally, and figure out what's working and what's not. But without La Russa, obviously things have not been very smooth. So I really think that – I think the, the fact that they've missed playoffs for consecutive years, just that fact will hopefully spur some sort of change or some sort of urgency, something, whether it be – it make them want to go after a bigger guy or whether it's being a little bit more tight on people or whether it's allowing younger players to grow, whether it's telling Matheny – that he needs to do certain things. There needs to be a change, I think. So, the only thing I mean, I'll I don't say, The only thing I'll say in response is the last four times the St. Louis Cardinals have been in the World Series were in 04, 06, 11, and 13, right? The best record was yep. in 2000, 2000, 2004, and we got swept. The second best record was in 2013. We won 97 games, and we lost. We won the World Series in 2006, having won, what, 83 games? And we won in 2011, winning 90 games. 
I think making the playoffs, and this is what Tony Larissa always said, making the playoffs is the thing because from there you just never know. You know, do I think that, you know, whether we do or don't make the playoffs will analytically change how this how this team looks at developing players? I absolutely don't. Um, so I hope we get in. I hope we have some luck. I hope we succeed. And then I hope we build the best possible team in the offseason. I agree 100%. All right. Um, so I guess one last thing to cut off these last couple of minutes. Um, I will uh, sort of let this up to you guys. What win total do you think the Cardinals will finish with this season? Uh, anyone, any number? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Throw it out there. Give me something. Give me something. Yep, nope, it's fair. Uh, my number is 87 wins. All right. And does that make the playoffs them, yes or no? I think so, yes. That makes them the second wild card. All right. What about you? I am pretty much the same. I could say 86, but I think they'll be the second wild card. I do. All right. I think, yeah, I'll go with, I would say 86 games, and I think they just sort of missed it. Um, But I think that's about all the time we have for today. Um, Thank you all so much for uh, listening to the Red Bird Rants podcast. Uh, Thank you to Larry and Dan for being here with me. Uh, Go Cardinals, man. And uh, go make sure to check out www.redbirdrants.com for uh, some great content about the Cardinals from the three of us. Uh, Other than that, I hope you have a nice night and hope to see you back for our Tuesday podcast. See you guys. Thanks for leading us, Christian. Take care. Thank you. Take care.